Listener Production. Giving you the warm and fuzzies just like when your favourite flirty barista draws a love heart on your latte. Aww. Isn't that cute? It's Matt and Alex All Day Breakfast. It is All Day Breakfast and it is a big breakfast today. Uh, we have a little bit of everything for you and uh, believe me when I say it, uh, I cannot wait to get just stuck into this episode. We're starting stupid. Let's get it right off the back. It's going to start stupid. And we're also going to be delving into an incredible chat with Jim Kerr, a 96-year-old former prisoner of war who served for Australia. He snuck into the army at 15 and he's going to be talking to us in the lead-up to Anzac Day, a big day in the Australian calendar commemorating uh, all of the armed servicemen and women who have uh, gone through and served for the country. Um, Jim Kerr being a notable one. I find it so fascinating to see the world through the eyes of someone who has been there and done that. It's going to be really incredible and, yeah, the least we can do in the lead-up to Anzac Day. So how about that for a large, big brekkie with all the trimmings? Mate, cannot wait to get stuck in. Let's do it. This is Matt and Alex, All Day Breakfast. This is just the start. Everyone ready? Let's get this show on the road. Let's go. Here we go, here we go, here we go. Matt and Alex, All Day Breakfast. We interrupt this podcast with breaking nudes. <laughs> and that is... <laughs> yeah, it is kind of nudes. It is breaking nudes. There's a film it's... festival in Australia who's having a, a nude screening of the film Patrick this weekend. Matt? Yeah. Um, the you're, Belgian... a, you're a cinephile? You, you like, the, like the big screen? I know, but I don't know how I'd feel. I don't think I've ever watched a movie nude. You know, what even the comfort of your own home? <laughs> no, what? What? Do you just sit at home and watch nude movies? Nude? Um, I don't, you know, set out to do it. Um, I might have come back from the shower one time and sat on the couch and like, oh, what's just been distracted? Oh, what's this? Marley and me. All right, <laughs> oh, move around. Oh, the towel's unhinged. Suddenly, well, I'm lazing <laughs> back. <laughs> just, uh, yeah, full frontal. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I'm not, I can't, I can't just lounge nude. You know what I mean? My, 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 my body shape at the moment is not, is not, a, it's not in lounge form. You sure. know what I mean? I need to be standing upright. Um, it's, <laughs> just, it's getting a little bit just, too. I just need all the help that gravity gives you. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's, 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 um, it's, it's in its COVID state. Well, the, um, the film Patrick is a Belgian film and it follows a handyman who works at a remote nudist colony. So, in honour of the type of film, it's like going to see Grease in your leather jacket. Um, <laughs> attendees are being asked to strip down for the session or just wear their underwear. Belinda went and saw a Grease screening recently, did the old, you know, sing-alongs and the old, ooh, and people yeah. you know, getting out of cars and stuff like that. But this, this is this you're supposed to just do nude, okay? There's a few ground rules, they said. Photography is completely off limits. All right. Um, you'll need to bring a towel. When you go and pull someplace nude, remember to bring a towel. <laughs> kind of, oh, it just feels weird, doesn't it? Um, oh, and only and pa- patrons only over the age of 18 can attend. Um, and you're asked to respect your fellow moviegoers' personal space. <laughs> well, that's, that's pretty reasonable. And, um, if, and if you want to go to the bathroom... <laughs> or you want something from the candy bar, you need to dress to then walk out to those areas. Yeah. It's nude in your seat only. Can't go can't go walking out with your chock top hanging out. I wonder if... Oh, God. Oh, God. 
anyway. Oh, um, <laughs> beg your pardon. Um, um, I wonder if the projectionist is also going to be nude. Do you reckon? Yeah, it'd be interesting, wouldn't it? Just a yeah. shadow creeping onto the screen. Um, or the, um, the ushers just wandering nude down the aisles. <laughs> I just, you'd get popcorn in your bits. You know what I mean? Like, there'd just be so many crumbs everywhere. <laughs> just all salty, salty bits. No, thank you. Um, but look, it's not the only nude news that's come out this week. Have you got a bit of is this? A full Madokai nude bulletin. Yeah, I decided, I thought, oh, you know what? I can't just talk about one nude story. Might as well make it a nude news. All right, in the new, latest nude news, Lizzo, popular artist, 32-year-old, uh, has posted an unedited nude photo on her Instagram to make statements about beauty standards. So she's not doing saying it's a grandmother and or an assistant who accidentally posted it. Lizzo no. deliberately posted a nude. Yeah, but you know what? This made all the headlines, and then d- dug into the copy of her post. It's uh, she's partnering with Dove and the Dove Self Esteem Project. I don't think it counts. It doesn't count as much. Well, I hope she made the uh, the appropriate hashtags Hashtag because people ad. exactly people in Australia be getting in trouble for not doing that. <laughs> You'd know. <laughs> Righto. What are you flogging this week, mate? <laughs> yeah, it's not furfy, I'll tell you that. Not furfy. <laughs> right. Drink responsibly. Now, good beer, that, actually, furfy. Very refreshing. I'll stick to the Bundy rum. Thank I've, you. I've thoroughly enjoyed, me- uh, I mean, a responsible amount. Now, <laughs> scientists have discovered that Naked mole rats. Okay, there's a type of mole rat called a naked mole rat. If this is in more nude news, um, they have various dialects based on their colony. Oh, so really? each colony of naked mole rats speaks its own distinct dialect. Okay, instantly recognisable to its members. So, you know, like languages. So, well, so I they... think if someone rocks up naked, you instantly know everything about them. Well, they, they apparently they're also because they speak their own languages. It turns out that they're also quite xenophobic. Oh. Because you know they're like, hey, you know, you don't, you don't speak my language. Get out of our of our lair or whatever they, wherever they live. Have you have you looked at a naked mole rat? Google it. <laughs> Hideous little thing. Um, what they need is they need Dove to do a uh, a <laughs> naked mole rat positivity campaign. <laughs> so so they- wrinkly, so wrinkly. <laughs> Whoever designed them, you didn't need to use so much skin. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> You could add a whole bunch left over, chucked it in the wardrobe for the next round of mole rats. Instead, you just <laughs> stitching them all together with all this excess stuff. Stop body shaving naked roll mole rats, <laughs> you mongrel. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, be proud, mole rat. <laughs> Not that the mole... Actually, the mole rat doesn't even... The mole rat doesn't understand what I'm saying anyway because it's got its own dialect, probably, probably being all racist to me. So whatever, I can say whatever I want about this little racist rats. Broad, broad, <laughs> call the T-shirt manufacturers and put a slogan on the front, be proud, mole rats, now. No. Next um, merch. Next okay. all-day breakfast merch. Final story. Hey, this is exciting. A naked couple, okay, has chased down two would-be thieves after they attempted to steal the couple's ute on Monday in Kananara. So this was incredible, right? 
Um, the two, the two are sleeping. They wake up to the sound of the of the car. They run out. They're both nude. The guy jumps onto the side of the car, opens up the passenger door. The guy, the the, the thieves start like trying to drive away. They bump into, yeah. they bump into a car, into a bin, and then into a fence. This is what the, the guy said to try and get me off, but I managed to get inside and overwhelm the driver and stop the vehicle. That was car owner Gregory May. Wow. The car was left with damage, but the couple managed to get it back after the teens fled the scene. They did it all completely noid. That is what everyone who doesn't sleep nude claims is their worst nightmare, is they've got to evacuate the house naked. But it, Gregory shows it can be done. You can overwhelm thieves even without clothes. Hey, next time you introduce yourself at a party, hey, what, what's your party trick? Oh, I can, I can stop... Wait, I can stop. No, teen, subdue. I can subdue teen nude thieves in the nude. Subdue teen nude thieves nude. <laughs> Sorry. Grab the t shirt manufacturer. <laughs> we got a different one. Coffee? Yeah, go on. A seventh coffee never hurt anyone. Oh, I feel a buzz. Now, Matt, it's our absolute honour right now in the lead-up to Anzac Day, which is happening on Sunday, to talk to a, an Australian uh, who experienced the war, uh, one of the big ones, World War II, back in the 40s. Uh, his name is Jim Kerr, and he joins us on the line now. Hello, Jim. Yeah, pleased to be with you. Um, thank you so much for chatting to us, Jim. Now, you were enlisted in uh, the, the war when you were 15, World War II, and you spent three and a half years uh, in a Japanese prisoner of war camp. That's correct. What was your life like in the in the moments before you were enlisted? Paint us a picture of 14-year-old Jim. In those days, of course, things were very, uh, very simple. There was never much money around. Um, uh, my father worked with the PMG, so we had a, a steady income coming in, but... Uh, my life was very, very simple, and uh, it was school and uh, playing with my mates and getting up to all the usual things that uh, boys of that age uh, do. What did you do for fun, Jim? Were you a cricketer? Did you um Well, look, we did all things. We Like uh, football, we'd make a, a football out of newspapers. <laughs> we'd play cricket. We'd go on yabby. Um, we'd build a billy cart. We'd make a kite. All those things we did uh, yeah, on our own initiative and uh, this is how we made uh, made the fun for ourselves in those days. And I was, my childhood was very, very happy. We never knew such a thing in those days as restaurants and holidays and <laughs> yeah. things like that were just something that uh, were just beyond uh, our financial capabilities, of course, so... Uh, it was a very simple and a very, very happy life. I feel that the young people today don't seem to know what to do with themselves without looking at a f- mobile phone all the time. Oh, well, I'm, I feel guilty about that sometimes, Jim. <laughs> things have I can't certainly go to the changed. Bathroom without thinking about the phone, you know, it's terrible. Um, things have definitely changed. But yeah, you describe you're a happy, happy child, and you are still a child at 15 when you enlist in the war. Can you tell us about that decision being made and? what your expectations were before you actually experienced the real thing? I always had an ambition to join the Navy, but uh, my standard of education wasn't uh, high enough to pass the exam. Uh, 
So I knew that you could join the Navy at 16 and a half as a boy's seaman. So I said to my mother and father, when I turn 16 and a half, I want to make the Navy my life. He went in for 12 years. Whoa. So they were quite happy to uh, for me to do that. So I just, uh, once I left school, I just paddled along waiting until I was 16 and a half. But unfortunately, the, the war broke out and the Navy put their age up to 18. And I was only 14 when the war broke out in September 1939. So uh, that was another couple of years I would have had to wait. Then I saw a friend of mine who I knew was around my age in army uniform, I asked him how he, heck he got in the army. He said, oh, just put my age up. So I went <laughs> home to my that. dad <laughs> and dad was the first World War digger in the trenches and uh, I said, I want to join the army. Well, they just laughed at me. <laughs> so I kept at them and at them. So in the end, they said, well, go up the recruiting depot. They'll laugh you out of the place. But they didn't and... Uh, when the recruiting officer said uh, date of birth, said 5th of the 2nd, 1920. But I was born on the 5th of the 2nd, 1925, of course. So I was <laughs> oh. 15. I joined up in August 1940, and I was 15 and a half. Wow. And what did, once, wow. The, once they accepted that, what did your dad, who had experienced a war in the, in the past, what did, what did he think of that? Well, I think once he saw me in uniform, he was proud of me, of course. Mm. And... Uh, Life was very, very hard for them in the time I was a POW because uh, I'd been posted missing and uh, so that was a terrible worry for them before they finally got word that uh, I was a POW. Yeah, Jim, I mean, tell us about what, what a prisoner of war is because I I don't fully understand the conditions that a prisoner of war has to live in, how how you even become a prisoner of war. Where were you when it happened and, and what was life like after that moment? I wasn't on Singapore when Singapore fell on the 15th February 1942. I'd been cut off and I was still in Malaya behind the Japanese lines. And on the 20th of February, we'd, uh, we met this well-educated Indian and uh, he said, what are you doing? We told him we were making for the coast. We're going to try and steal a boat and make for Sumatra. He said, do you know that uh, Singapore fell? We said, no. He said, no, it's uh, 20th of February. Fell five days ago. So and we decided to give ourselves up and... Uh, didn't know whether they were taking prisoners or not, but at any rate, uh, he brought the Japanese out and uh, uh, and then we became POWs. So I finished up my first POW camp was in uh, Kuala Lumpur in the main jail there. So it was on the rice diet then, of course, rice three times a day. Reasonably well fed in Kuala Lumpur because there was uh, plenty of food there, of course. you got to remember that with the Japanese... Uh, they didn't sign the Geneva Convention for the treatment of prisoners of war, so they didn't have to or didn't didn't need to abide by any of the mm. the restrictions that would have been placed on them by the convention. So anyway, uh, October 42, I was taken down to Changi. I was in Changi until uh, April 1943, and then... Uh, I was sent up to Thailand to uh, work on the railway. 
are you able to, to to put into words what a day on that railway was like? What what were you doing there, and um and what did it, what toll did it take on you? Well, day, daylight till daylight till dark. Um, our our section of the railway was a a small cutting, not as big as Hellfire Pass, but a a small cut in the embankment, and uh, you were allotted your uh, Usually they had a, a measuring stick, a metre measuring stick, and they would measure out a metre by a metre and a metre deep, and that's what you had to dig out. That was your, your ration of of uh, the quota that you had to do for the day. So we were there from dawn till, uh, from daylight till dark, and uh, we took our rice out with us for lunch. Uh, there was no extra water at these uh, work sites, so the, the water that you got, it filled your water bottle in the morning before you went out, had to last you all day. Mm. Uh, for anybody who's been in the tropics, know that it's very humid, you perspire mm. very freely. And when you're doing the heavy manual work that we were doing, you can imagine the, the perspiration, and even in the camps. There was no water storages of that there. What you got your uh, your rational water at night, a cup of uh, well they call it a coffee, but how they made their coffee was to throw rice into the cooking pot, burn that, then throw water on that. The water turned black, and uh, there's your coffee. <laughs> Jim, coffee. are you telling me that you you had to drink a burnt rice latte? <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Oh, oh yeah. you'd get charged about seven bucks at yeah. some of the places <laughs> these days with that. So that, that was our <laughs> cup of coffee of the night. And yet in those three and a half years as a PRW, mm, uh, I cannot remember anybody asking me or me asking anybody, look, I'm thirsty, can you give me a drink? We just adjusted to the fact that was all the water we had and we had to make it last. Oh, it's, it sounds absolutely incredible. It sounds um, really tough. The railway was 415 kilometres in length. It took 15 months to build, and there were 60,000 prisoners of war slaved on the railway. And of those 60,000, 16,000 died, and 1,600 of them were Australians. Mm plus the fact that they brought a lot of Asian labourers from Indonesia, Singapore, Malaysia, up to work on the roll and they estimate, it's only an estimation because there's no actual records kept, but they estimate that over 100,000 native labourers died as well as the 16,000 prisoners of war. Now, that line was built in 15 months. It was built through Virgin Jungle, across a main ri- a major river and also through rocky hills that had to be blasted out and then dug out by hand. What did going through an experience like that, Jim, teach you about yourself and more broadly about humanity and the, and the human spirit being able to yeah, come through something like that and then live the long life you've been able to, to live? We never, ever lost our, our spirit. We always kept our spirit up. We never, ever lost our morale. Can you remember ever 
laughing during this. I would just oh, think it'd be, yeah, be you'd be yeah. sucked of joy. You'd be it'd yeah. be so depressing. But you managed to get through it with good humour as well. Oh yeah, I can remember uh, a mate and myself. Sometimes we'd have a, a little bit of a sing song of the night. Just after we'd come off the railway, of course. So Do you remember the song? Oh, I can't, know. Oh, uh, go on, Jim. You don't want to give us a one once over. <laughs> but I'll tell you a little joke I had, though. I used to say to the boys, yeah. look, I'm, I've am i had this. I'm going to go up and see the Japanese commandant. I'm going to tell him I'm underage. I should not be here. And I want to go home. So that, that always got a bit of a laugh. Yeah. <laughs> well, that is, that is some incredibly dark humour, Jim. I'll give you that and being there because you were underage. You were just a boy going through this incredibly awful experience, but you managed to get through it. And uh, we appreciate you having a laugh with us um, right now today on uh, All Day Breakfast. Before we let you go, Jim, just let us know about what it was like when you got out of the camp. Were you able to finally see your parents again and some of your other family? And were they obviously relieved to hear from you? Well, I was overseas for just over four years. Uh, so, and as I say, I was, uh, I was supposed to missing before Singapore fell, so that was a, a worry for my parents, of course. But uh, just to, to come home and... Uh, and see my family again after over four years and survived what I'd survived. Uh, oh, well, it's, it's, it's hard to explain. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm hard I can only imagine. But um, Sunday, Anzac Day, is the time we're, we're able to commemorate uh, the, the effort that you and, and your fellow Australians put in during that time, Jim. And, of course, we did focus on, on the war at this particular point, but you've lived to a ripe old age now. Is it – what what – what do you want Jim Kerr to be remembered for over this time? Because that was a, a largely, you know, traumatic experience, I'm sure, but you would have through gone life, through so through much. Through my wartime experience. No, your, for Jim Kerr, life, the, for what, the man, the human yeah, being. What you've achieved, you know, since then, or, you know, if that is the, 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 the defining part of your life. I've had a good life since I've, uh, I've been home. I've, I've been one of the lucky ones. I've, uh, I came home in reasonably good health. And I've managed to keep that. There's only another fellow and myself left alive from my unit now, just the two of us. And he's just turned 100. I'm 96. Oh, you're uh, a spring chicken compared yeah. to him, Jim. <laughs> yeah. No, I've had a good You should have kept your fake age, Jim. You'd oh, be 101 I, by now. You, know? oh, you would have already got the Queen's letter. <laughs> I, I, must, I must revert back to my Navy days. So <laughs> th- th- this will absolutely... Uh, Rock the socks off you. <laughs> when I came home uh, and I was discharged from the Army on the 14th of December 1945, which was a Friday, on the Monday morning, I walked into the Navy recruiting office and joined the Navy for 12 years. Oh, wow. But, but because I'd been a POW, they undenied whether they'd accept me or not. So by the time I was taken in in July 1946. They'd broken it down to two years. So in that in that two years, I I got married. So I'd done my two years. I'd realised my boyhood ambition of being in the Navy. So I left after two years. This is the part that I love. I was a prisoner of war in late 1945 of the Japanese and I went to Japan in 1947 
on the destroyer HMAS Quick Match as part of the occupation forces. Now, how's that for turning the table? <laughs> you, you did, Jim. You absolutely did. But no, I'm, a, I'm up there. It's not they're overseeing me. I'm overseeing them. Wow. That's incredible. And this is something I would find difficult to, to wrap my head around as well. How do you feel now in the year 2021? You know, the world is globalised. Allies have shifted over the years. Do you hold any bad feelings? Because I feel it would be extremely difficult to let go of those kind of things. People, I often, or not often, but I do get asked, do you hate the Japanese? And I say, no, I don't hate the Japanese. I will never forgive them the unnecessary suffering that was inflicted on sick men through lack of medical support, equipment or whatever. And I'll never, ever forget. I'll never, ever forget what they did. But I will not use that word hate because hate, in my opinion, can be like a cancer. It can eat away at you and you're the one that is suffering from that hate Mm. or they're just getting on with life. Mm. Jim, we can't thank you enough for everything that you shared with us today. Uh, as we look ahead to Anzac Day, it is so, so incredible to hear your story and uh, to to understand what you, you and so many other people went through. Um, and we appreciate your time here today and, of course, uh, everything that you uh, stood for back then. Mm. And we hope that you are well and enjoy the weekend. And, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll catch you next time. Yeah, well, thank you, Matt and uh, and Alex. And uh, well, I've got the greatest respect uh, of being a, an Australian soldier in the, the Australian Imperial Force. And I'm so proud of my fellow Australian POWs. They were uh, men above men, and uh, I've got the greatest admiration for them. Well, Jim, thank you again. We really appreciate it. And uh, we'll let you go now, but... Yeah, it's been awesome to chat and, yeah, hopefully we'll, we can talk to you again. Nah, my pleasure. I'm pleased that I was able to contribute. Order up. Just how you like it. Perfect. All day breakfast. Yes, Alex Dyson, it is that time on a Friday afternoon where we delve into the old vegetable crisper in the fridge and see what fresh fruit and veg we haven't eaten through the week. Yeah, it's been a big week on All Day Breakfast, and thank you very much for your feedback. These are a few messages, things we haven't been able to get to so far. Um, Shane, on the topic of the Big Bird heist, which uh, did have a happy ending in the end, which was very, very nice, uh, saying my mate Joshua has a ripper story about a heist where he and some mates stole the giant inflatable Moscow circus clown in their teens. They were caught and justice was served in a pretty unique manner by the circus owners. The police tracked them down, but the circus owners, rather than press charges, decided to make the boys work for them at the circus. A lot of manual labour, <laughs> packing up their big circus tents. Um, amazing stuff. <laughs> uh, Helen at Mrs. Labber uh, on the topic of Sunshine Salad said, Sunshine Salad reminded me of when my friend and I were in Vegas about eight years ago. We'd been travelling around the US and we're getting pretty sick of all the unhealthy food, so we thought we'd order a salad, just like a regular green chopped salad. It rocks up. And there is this fluoro orange layer of something on top of the salad, which I thought at first glance was caviar. But no, it was popping candy. (laughs) Why? 
They managed to even make the most basic salad unhealthy. Thanks for nothing, America. Goodness gracious. Um, Popping salad. Okay, interesting. Um, we also touched on uh, coffee orders, Matokine. My absolute basic vanilla order creeping up over $5. So we'll ask you what what price your order is getting to. Jess says her small chai latte with almond milk. $6.27, daylight robbery. <laughs> 27? What? what? Why 27? Um, Sam says, uh, fellas come up to Weeper in far north Queensland. Large flat white is $7.50 and that's with normal milk. Oh, Ooh. goodness me. The $8 if you get the soy. <laughs> and uh, Ben has said, uh, I work at a cafe and for a small cup of Jamaica Blue Mountain, we charge $8.30. <laughs> All right, getting stuck in now to the hairdos. We haven't touched on your hair for a little while, Alex Dyson. It's oh, I have. Kind of... <laughs> I touch on it every day and but every it's, night. It's becoming... I, I bounce it at the back. It's it's becoming quite f- full. Uh, mm. There is a lot of it, and we need to do something about it. Uh, ever since you got the perm about six months ago, we've been trying to figure out what to do with it, but we were so excited to be messaged by Kyra, who got in touch and... Uh, Hey, said, hey, guys, my best friend and I committed to uh, something. We made a pact and we followed through and we've got Kyra on the phone right now. Hello, Kyra. Hey, boys. How are you? Good. You've, you've sounded, your hair's sounding so soft and sli- shiny oh. and sleek, Kyra. What, what's going on in there? It's a perm, baby. Oh, <laughs> yeah. We're perm pals, Kyra. <laughs> tell us about the decision-making process and how it all went through. Yeah, so we, me and my friend um, in January had a chat and um, we found out that we listened to you guys um, and we both said that we want to get a perm. So we committed and did the perm. Yes. Now, was this a side-by-side thing or did you go separate? No. So I'm actually a hairdresser. um, So I couldn't do my hair, obviously, but um, she wanted to go together. So, yeah, we went on Monday and got the perm done and, yeah, we love it. Oh, so good. That's awesome. <laughs> That's what was you the both... feeling like? I had absolute shock seeing myself with curly hair. Yeah. What about you? Like, I couldn't stop laughing because, like, <laughs> when you first get it done, it's real bro-like. Yeah. But, yeah, no, like, it's amazing. I just wash it and then wake up and I'm good to go. Now, do you have the same situation as Alex Dyson did where suddenly all of these people are coming up to you going, oh, my God, this is literally the best I've ever seen you. Yeah, like it looks good. I'm not gonna toot my own horn, but like it looks good. Oh, it toot, really toot, Kyra, toot <laughs> away. That is it. Well, I think I can reveal to you, Kyra, right now. This is quite incredible. I don't think we've said this on the podcast yet, but after I got the perm, not a week later, I get an email saying, "Hey, a shampoo company's got in touch. Do you want to be in not their please. ad?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Kyra. Oh, my goodness. Uh, the issue being that shampoo company wanted me to play the role of dandruff and I've just seen the ads come on television and I missed a bullet because I didn't get oh, didn't gosh. get the part. But if you see it ad on TV with a large white dandruff with a face hole, that could have been Dyson. I'll just tell you that. Yeah, love wait, it. Wait, love wait, it. wait, 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 wait. We haven't talked about this on air. And I just need to ask... What's it like to not even get the role of dandruff? I mean, you have made fun of me yeah. for a lot of bad roles that I got. For not being in Mad Max, but um, not being dandruff, that is pretty. That is a pretty low blow. Um, but, but, Kyra, glad you're liking it. 
Thank you very much for helping me bring back the perm. The perm has officially returned. And, uh, yes. yeah, good luck with your uh, your new perm life. Oh, I can't wait. It's, yeah, I'm a new woman. So thank you, Alex. <laughs> Amazing. Yes. Awesome, Karen. All the best. <laughs> no worries. Bye. Bye. And thank you for listening to All Day Breakfast today. It has been an absolutely massive one. Big thank you to James Jim Kerr, who got on the phone and had a chat to us. Now, I hope I'm still firing on all cylinders like Jim at 96 years old. We cannot appreciate him not only talking to us today, but um, having that incredible story to tell uh, through serving his country. Absolutely yeah. phenomenal stuff, Matt. And thank you for listening. We're heading into the weekend now, so we hope you have a good one. This is Matt and Alex All Day Breakfast, and we'll see you on Monday. Bye-bye. Listener.